Did you get it all down in one? Yeah. That was a bigger shot. I'm <laughs> professional. I feel like that was... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was more than one shot. Uh, probably. It's probably a double shot glass. Because one shot, like, fills my mouth. <laughs> it's a weird way to measure a thing. <laughs> <laughs> We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please, talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello. Hello. And welcome. To Freudian Sips. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And welcome back. It's so good to have you with us. Yes. To episode 19. 19. We're getting very close to 20. We are so close to 20. Don't know what that means. 20 seems important. Does it? Not like 21, like when you turn 21, but 20 episodes. (laughs) After 21 episodes, our podcast can drink. Just like we are. (laughs) It's a little late for that. (laughs) Speaking of drinks, what are we drinking today, Mom? You know, you would have to ask me that because I have no idea. It's something lemonade-y. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that stuff is called. I guess it doesn't matter. So it's, it's a lemon-flavored vodka with lemonade. It's very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Why are we drinking this, Anna? <laughs> because we are still talking about psychosocial stages. And as we were trying to figure out what to drink, we saw lemon vodka. And I said, you know, mm. like lemonade stands, <laughs> like kids have. And Mom said, sure, grab it. <laughs> and so... <laughs> That's what we're doing. It wasn't a whole lot of thought. There, but. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fine. But it was inspired. It was truly inspired. Good. Do you remember having a lemonade stand when you were a kid? Well, though, because we live, our house is on a hill. So mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I think most It wasn't people, like there were people going by. No, and it's not like there was a street corner. Right. The ridiculous part of that is that I grew up in the exact same did you block lemonade that stand? you did. We didn't do a lemonade stand, but we made snow cones. Okay. But the customers were my mom and dad and my older brother and my grandma and my aunt and uncle because my cousin was just one house up. So <laughs> That's how yeah, all good they bought all, all good small businesses <laughs> truly start. They bought all of the supplies and then they bought them from us again. <laughs> For a hundred thousand percent up. That's right. Yeah. And and we were a little club, my brother and my cousin and I, and we were called the Good Guy Club. <laughs> The good guy club. Was there a bad guy club? And were you like West Side Story rivals with them? Like, No, but you know, the whole world was kind of bad guys. So we were the good guy club. It's very deep. We picked up litter out of the creek by our house. Oh, wow. We were definitely good guys. You were doing like community service. I know. Before anybody Before anyone knew. told you you yeah. had to for your prison sentences. <laughs> we. That's true. <laughs> And luckily, you are, you are I... about to be like, we never, well, <laughs> I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie. lie to our listeners. So yeah, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of a very long topic, aren't we? Y- y- we are. Before we dive into that topic, we've got I've got a couple of things to talk about, actually. Okay. We've got a gift. I received a gift. And now I'm passing the gift on to you. A gift, not a gift. 
No, it's an audio thing. We've gone over this. It's an audio medium. I can't give the listeners gifts. Except on Twitter where I speak exclusively in gifts. If you're not following the Freudians of Twitter, it's all gifts. You'll be disappointed. But this is from a loyal listener. Uh Uh-oh. My husband's lovely mom. My mom-in-law, Lori. She gave me this. I'm so excited. (gasps) Do you know what this is? I'm holding up a book right now for our listeners. There's a book, and it says, Murder Yet to Come. For the listeners and for my mom. (gasps) Myers-Briggs. It's the novel that Isabel Briggs Myers wrote (gasps) that includes, like, the personality type, archetype things. We talked about this on what episode? We did, episode 10. I knew you would Where we talked about the Myers-Briggs mom and daughter and who did the Myers-Briggs type indicator. The daughter Mm -hmm. wrote a novel, a murder mystery novel, and it even says on the cover, it says the award-winning mystery novel by the creator of the Myers-Briggs type indicator. It's called Murder Yet to Come. It's by Isabel Briggs Myers. It's got a, a very, it's a very typical kind of murder mystery cover. Like a, mm-hmm. there's a desk and a broken pair of glasses and a window. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, it's so, it's so like cozy mystery cover. So your mother-in-law listened to a podcast and heard us talking about that and then found the book? Yeah, because I even mentioned on the podcast that I was having a, trouble finding it and she's yeah. like I found it immediately <laughs> I said cool and she gave it to me when but I was down there last how weekend. good of her to she is the best she's the best second only to my own mother thank you for adding that <laughs> <laughs> thank you for adding that because I was starting to feel a little scared that I was l- losing my she's role Lori you're the best she's probably listening to this that's amazing Lori but yeah, she, I mean, it was, it was totally out of the blue. I had no idea she was doing that. So that's very cool. I'm honored. I want to do like a, you and me should do like an audio book of it. We should read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And, or we could, and, ooh, maybe we could do like chapter reviews and uh, like, because maybe we couldn't read it. I don't know the legality of reading someone else's book. I don't know how that works either, but maybe if we got permission from But we can somebody. give like summaries and sort of talk about the psychological <sighs> themes in it. That would be cool. Ooh, if you guys are interested in this tweet us or uh email us at 40 at gmail.com or tell us on facebook because we will totally do that if there's any interest in it because i'm gonna read it anyway <laughs> and i would love to tell you all how it is oh Lori, thank you so much that is amazing that you gave that to anna it's very cool thank you thank you very much very thoughtful maybe we can do it for like patreon extra episodes or something Ooh. if anyone subscribes on patreon Ooh, maybe that would be a good like, idea extra chapters of a book also speaking of paying things um (laughs) you and i have talked about doing merch yes we've talked about doing because we are currently using like rocks glasses that i have custom made Mm -hmm. but they're kind of fading the way i did them is not entirely long lasting so i was considering buying us like professionally made like uh, glasses. glasses but like if you do that it's easier to buy them kind of in bulk so if anyone is interested in a kind of uh highball glass rocks glass situation that has Freudian Sips, like the logo, and then it says Freudian Sips on it. Also, let us know that. Like, reach out to us on social media and let us know that you would like that because we'll probably buy some anyway, but I'm not going to buy, like, you know, over 20 of them unless someone actually wants them. them. (laughs) What? We're going to have hundreds of people. Hundreds of people, I tell you, are going to want to drink with us. Okay, well, hundreds of people better tell me or I'm not going to order them. And then we will figure it out. (laughs) Oh, because you didn't take your whole shot. It was a double shot. I took all of mine. I know, but you're tough. Thank you. I'm a wee. I learned it from watching you. (laughs)
So if people are interested in chapter stuff, like for Murder Yet to Come, or in merch stuff, let us know, because we would like to start expanding and doing that other stuff, but we would like to hear... Because we're close to 20 episodes, and we feel well, like oh, we're ramping we're up. We're pros now, guys. Ooh. We're pros. But let us know that there are people listening to us being pros, and not just us shouting mm-hmm. at each other over across the table. But even, you know what, Anna? Even if that's all it was, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I know. We're still going to do it. And we're still going to like it. We're still going to have fun. And I'm still going to tell people I have a podcast mm-hmm. like I'm a yeah. professional. I know. Me too. I'm okay. getting some of my best stuff from this. <laughs> I do feel like I learn a lot whenever I research for this stuff. Last night my husband said to me as I was reading in bed this book that we're talking about today, mm-hmm. quote, are you doing homework for tomorrow's <laughs> podcast? You're like, yep. And I said, yes, I am. Yep. And he kind of rolled his eyes just a little at me and then he went to sleep. And I continue to read. <laughs> continue to do my homework. Yes. Okay, so all that out of the way. I know that was a lot. There's a lot of pre-roll that we don't this usually This is like have. when you go to church usually. and the minister just keeps talking about all the announcements and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> Let's get to the meat. Yes, that's exactly how it is <laughs> on our podcast where we drink. <laughs> well, I'm Catholic, so we can drink. <laughs> we drink during so service, we, yes. That re- well, sort of it now. <laughs> Just a little step. So we are continuing our conversation about psychosocial stages made by Erickson, um, mm-hmm. Eric Hamburger Erickson, Hamburger. our dear hamburger man who made psychosocial stages. And if you haven't listened to the other two episodes where we talk about this, first of all, go back and do that. That's kind of fun. Please do that. But you don't necessarily have to listen to the other stages to understand the stages we're talking about today. Right. Um, because they are kind of independent of each other they sort of stack but they are also pretty insular so if you haven't listened to those then a quick recap of the psychosocial situation so rather than psychosexual (laughs) what are you laughing at (laughs) you are using your hands a lot today (laughs) thanks So rather than the psychosexual stages like Freud talked about, Mm -hmm. Erickson thought that we have psychosocial stages that are more about our identities and how we relate to others and all that stuff. So each psychosocial stage, of which he had eight, but we're going to talk about, I think, ten. A few more, yes. It's been expanded since he kind of came up with the idea. So each stage has a crisis that must be completed, and each crisis is kind of expressed as like A versus B. So like in infancy, it's trust versus mistrust. So they're kind of set up like that. Mm -hmm. And then you resolve this crisis by using what's called the central process. And if you resolve the crisis well, so you have more of A than B, basically, you take forward a positive virtue or ego quality. And if you don't resolve the crisis well, you take forward what's called like a negative pathology. So Mm -hmm. basically there's like a thing you have to do in each stage. And if you do it well, you have a good thing. And if you don't do it well, you have a bad thing. If you do it well, you get a little gold star. If you don't do it well, you get a little black dot. No. (laughs) That means pirates will kill you. No. No, it's not like that at all. But I'm a visual learner, so I have to do something fair. I'm apparently very concrete. We've already talked about uh, infancy and toddlerhood and early childhood. So mm-hmm. that kind of goes up to age boom, six. Bam, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And now we are doing Ta-da, middle childhood. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Freudian Steps. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, please don't we stop promise listening we'll never to do that again. <laughs> Okay, was this a thing oh, we had man. to try? We'll never I, do it again. Listen, I don't usually harmonize. 
It was actually pretty good. <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't feel like it. <laughs> so middle childhood is ages 6 through 12, which I don't know about you, but if I think about the difference between a 6-year-old and a 12-year-old, it's humongous, Seems like a big gap. Right? Literally double. Literally right. double the age. Sure. So you're thinking about like a first grader-ish through a fifth to sixth grader-ish. Mm-hmm. There's a great deal of growth that goes on there. Right. But that's the stage that I'm going to talk about, middle childhood, 6 through 12. And the psychosocial crisis in this age is industry versus inferiority, which I'm going to come back to. Okay. okay? But I just kind of want to plant that seed, industry versus inferiority. That's that's a good idea Mm because I noticed that in my stuff too because like the crisis goes through all the developmental tasks that we talk about. So So, Right. So as we talk about the tasks, you can kind of remember that in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. We hope that by this stage that we have those ego qualities that we've accomplished in a positive way, starting in infancy and through toddlerhood and early childhood. So hopefully, as we head into middle childhood, we have the ego qualities of hope, will, and purpose. Da-da-da! very good. And we're going into school, and we're going to have hope, will, Purpose. Gosh, I wish they could see us. I know. We are, we are motioning today. <laughs> it's like superheroes doing cheerleading. I've been seeing people who do their podcasts and like put them on YouTube and like film themselves doing it. I think it. that we would might be need to we might do need a visual to, medium. Because like, I don't know, 50% of our communication is physical. Okay, so let me tell you about middle childhood a little bit. So as I talk about this, you got to think about either if you have children of your own, you can think about them in these stages, or you can think about your own childhood and what you were doing at these ages. So six through twelve, you're already past middle childhood. If you're below twelve, listening, you shouldn't be listening. Stop! (laughs) Stop listening to this. It is inappropriate for you. Go tell your mother that you're making bad podcast choices and come back when you're (laughs) eighteen. Yes, this is definitely rated PG-16 or that's, something. That's a rating, yeah. <laughs> For podcasts, sure. we're making new readings. We're, there's no rules in podcast land. <laughs> we can do whatever no we want. No rules, just right. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you about the developmental tasks. Because remember, each stage has developmental tasks, things that we have to accomplish. And the things that we accomplish in middle childhood, uh, we start with friendship, which is the most obvious. But even that, if you think about the difference between your friends in first grade and your friends in fifth or sixth grade, it's a very different spectrum. Yeah. It's a very different feeling. And you approach them differently and interact with them differently. Exactly. And they mean different things to us. But believe it or not, back when we talked about attachment... And that was an in infant stage, correct? Mm-hmm. We talked about secure attachment and how important it is to have that secure attachment to a parent. If we have that secure attachment, we are much more likely to be likable. We accomplish friendship easier. If you have secure attachment, you're more likely to have lots of friends because you are a balanced person. I noticed well, if that. if you have secure attachment, then you believe that the people that are going to be your friends are going to be loyal to you and exactly. have good connections with you. You trust them yeah. and you can become intimate with other people. So basically what we're learning, especially in the beginning of this stage, uh-oh, what? Stop doing the thing with your elbows where you hit the table. Such a bad mic noise. I have both. <laughs> three times already have i ever done that before that's yeah, a new all the thing. time like on other episodes yeah <laughs> do you want me to leave Is, <laughs> no are you are you telling me right now you can't work with me anymore because oh, well, i i will leave okay i will leave right so now one shot in and mom's getting aggressive <laughs> this is recorded for posterity <laughs> can't help it if i have a lot of bone in my elbows <laughs> I have fat right here and fat right here, but my elbows are very pointy. (laughs) Okay. 
the first developmental task, as I was trying to explain before <laughs> I was really interrupted, is friendship. And so there's a lot. It's all about learning social competence, mm-hmm. okay, learning to be able to fit into society. And so in this growing of friendship and learning social competence, we learn a couple of different things, three different things specifically. We learn to appreciate different points of view, which started actually in a previous Mm-hmm. stage but we're getting better and better at that we also learn about social norms and like you know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable not only just generally in in society but specifically with our peer groups that Which we, we have. also that also kind of started so this is very exactly. much building on and i know that in one of the last podcasts i remember you saying anna something like if you really look at it, it's the same things and they're just developing more yeah which is absolutely they're just, and then they're true. getting better at this thing right um, and the last thing is, <laughs> now I'm so, <laughs> so freaking paranoid about the table. <laughs> I just bumped my wrist on the table. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> that was I, my bone. I only mean, listen, listen. <laughs> it's a bad noise. <laughs> but it was like my, my wrist right there. I know I didn't hear that okay. one, but you like froze up. I know. Okay, I'm scared. Don't be scared. Also in friendship, we just continue our growth in valuing emotional closeness. So this goes back to the attachment thing again. If we had good attachment, when we're likely to make good friendships and hold on to them. Sure. Uh, in younger ages, obviously, we still have that. We talked about in one of the previous episodes that little girls are tend to be in dyads. They tend to mm-hmm. just have one or two friends at the very most. And they're more likely to say, I have a best friend. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes That's all the way. That's a good point. I've never 12. really heard boys, boys don't really talk about that. that. Uh-uh. Huh. And if you, I don't know if you've ever done this in counseling, but when you ask a little boy who is your best friend, they don't really answer you the same way the girl does. They kind of go, hmm. They, hmm. they give you a group. Uh, Interesting. So friendship is the most important. Well, I don't know if I should say most important. It's an important part of the developmental tasks. The second one is concrete operations. And this kind of goes back to we've talked about in previous episodes that at some point in time we'll talk about we'll Piaget, talk about Piaget yeah. yeah and that he talked specifically about how our brain changes as we grow right because I I have the next one up from that in the mm-hmm. Piaget kind of task list in mm-hmm. my stage and I'm like oh, yeah we're, we're, we'll talk about that later right so just to know that it basically means that their thinking changes that you know when they were younger when they in early childhood they would touch things and they would learn that way but it always had to be out there touching it now they can touch it at one point but then it's in their brains that's the best way I can think to explain it they it becomes it there it becomes thought yeah. instead of just they still are concrete they're in the concrete operational which means they're not very abstract thinkers yet mm-hmm. although some people would argue that some kids are already there at 12 or even but before. i think that's the point that during this stage they master that right right and then by the next stage they're ready to move on to the next one and so it's it's it is like so many other things in psychology is kind of a spectrum yeah and depending on the maturity level so um mm, i'm gonna kind of <laughs> I'm going to go back. Gosh, she's so picky. I can't bump my elbows. I can't growl. I just laughed at that one. Okay. I like that noise. I'm going to kind of throw this back in. <laughs> it means mom doesn't know what her notes mean. <laughs> yeah, it means there's a lot of going on here. <laughs> and I need time to process it. <laughs> Speaking as a past teacher, thinking about a six-year-old versus a 12-year-old, there's a huge range in there. Yeah. Because speaking as a teacher, kindergarten, first, second, even third grade, the kids are still like teachers. 
They are awesome. They know what they're talking about. And then they hit about the end of third grade, beginning of fourth grade, and it's starting to be like, eh, teachers don't really know all that much. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, they're on to me. <laughs> oh, crap. Oh, no. <laughs> they know that I don't know everything. And then so psychologists kind of put that at about 9 or 10. They no longer look to their teacher to find out what the norms are and to find out what's expected of them. And now they start to look to their peers. And again, they put these ages there, but every kid is different, right? So we have to kind of lean on on the fact that some kids mature quicker than other kids. Basically, concrete operation is all about advance in reasoning. By middle childhood, which is about seven or eight years old, kids are expected to be able to coordinate their thinking with the thinking of others. So like when they cooperate in a group or like team play. But that's, again, we talk even when kids are really little about how they are already able to conceptualize how others will look at a situation. Right. So this is, like you just said, that thing where, okay, yes, this is just honing the things that started earlier on. Right. You know what I've noticed about you and I? Is that grammatically correct? Yes. You and me? I don't care. You know us about me. You it's and probably me. you and me. When we say the word little, we both kind of go, little. <laughs> little. Little. It's like we have to make it with our voice. T-L-E. The little. It's spelled different. Little kids. Little kids. So they're thinking That's is, what you've noticed about you and me? Oh, there are so many things. I could write a book about what I've noticed about you and me. During this concrete operation, kids between 6 and 12 deal with all kinds of, and there's big fancy words I'm not going to go into now, like conservation and reversibility and induction. I'm doing things with my hands. She is so doing and things And computational skills, which Those is are. all about math stuff, which, you know, math. Ooh. <laughs> they learn how to use but computers. People, yeah. And well, these days, that's about it. So all that kind of is part of the way that their thinking is changing. That goes very hand in hand with the next task, with the developmental task of skill learning. Learning. Six through 12 year olds, one of their tasks is skill learning. And this can be very specifically academic skills, which very specifically is reading. Oh, reading. Okay. They learn to read and they learn to be good at reading. That's the only one that's specifically mentioned? Well, no, no, no. That's oh. just kind of like the core of academic oh, learning. Yeah. Of course, mathematics is, is the other like, really side of any, that. Especially at this age, in any subject you're in, you have to read. You got to read. To do it. Even in math, you got to yeah. read. Yeah. You have to be able to read. So what that brings up is a whole bunch of... <laughs> I was trying to fly away today. Struggles. <laughs> For kids who can't read as well, who for yeah. kids who have challenges if a, if a child has dyslexia. And there's a whole bunch or, of ways not to read well. Exactly. We put a very heavy validation on, on being a good reader, mm-hmm. on being fluent. And to the point of, I, we were just talking about this with one of our clients that like, our client, like it's both of ours, but like <laughs> wh- where if there's a problem reading, it manifests as something different because it's so inherent in all we do mm-hmm. that it's hard for people to say like maybe they have a reading problem, right. maybe it's comprehension, maybe it's this, maybe they just literally can't read very well, mm-hmm. but that affects literally everything else they're doing in school. And so it can kind of come across as behavior issues mm-hmm. when that frustration comes up with kids this exactly. age. And it's hard for those of us who have never struggled with reading to empathize with that feeling of if you're a person who's looking at a word and has to work really hard to decipher one word at a time, doesn't it make sense then that you don't get the comprehension of the passage because you're so freaking concerned with every single word that you don't get any comprehension. You're just trying to decipher what each word is. Yeah, it's so something that people that don't struggle with that take for granted. I remember when I was a kid and... 
my cousin was really struggling in school mm-hmm. and I was told that he has ADHD and learning disabilities and I had to be like told what that meant and I just like I couldn't wrap my head around it because I was always okay in school like I was pretty good mm-hmm. in school I didn't struggle with any of that so it's it's hard to expand your brain to that when it's something we just take for granted if right. we're good at it that's kind of like that whole thing that we all struggle with well I think it's specifically for me very a sensitive spot when someone is good at something and it's easy for them like let's mm-hmm. say let's say somebody's a great basketball player mm-hmm. and they're like you know dunking things and they can you know hit it from the three-point <laughs> zone and all that those are very good basketball terms thank you very much <laughs> and then they look at me and they say well bonnie it's so easy yeah just do it just do it just it's so easy i've it. been doing it since i was 10 years old go do it to me it is impossible i've so. always heard that like if you're smart you can understand something, but if you're very smart, you can both understand it and explain it to someone who doesn't understand it. Ooh. So you're able to kind of like put your mind back in that place and break it down into its simpler terms. Hmm. We might go around about that because I think that empathy is what makes you be able to put it in a place where you understand it. <laughs> I think that's more a cognition thing than a feeling thing. If you're able to kind of put your brain down But I've down known a very level. intelligent people who are not very good at explaining things. Yeah. I guess there's just different, you know, our brains are all well, different. Well, there's a thousand we have different, different types gifts. of intelligence. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of, actually, this fits right into what we're talking about right, right. now. Let's get back to what we're is that, we went on a it, tangent. I'm sorry. I know. It is that in this middle childhood time is when people are kind of differentiating like, you're good at this. Well, I'm good at this. Well, yeah. you're good at this. And so skill learning is one of the tasks. It doesn't just mean academic skill learning. It can be music. It can be dancing. It can be athletics. It can be acting. You know, whatever it is. Kids are learning skills. But that's good that kids are learning different skills. Different things, right. Skill combines knowledge and practice directed towards solving significant, meaningful problems. And in in all things that we do, we begin as a novice and we work our way toward being an expert, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And so during this time, kids are learning skills. That's a big, huge thing that I want you to hold on to because in a minute I'm going to talk to you to mention about... I don't know. See, this is those times when I'm shuffling through my papers. Uh, oh, yeah. She has papers uh, wait, as an update have a on what mom's using. She has papers and a book and a laptop today. Central process. Yeah. The central process for this age is education. But that doesn't just mean like going to school education. Right. It, it means, means your mom things. your mom cooking you, cooking you how to teach. Teaching you how to... <laughs> <laughs> that lemonade is some good stuff. <laughs> Teaching you how to cook is a skill, is education. Um, You know, your coach teaching you how to kick a goal is education. Yeah, we don't think of that as education, but it's learning and that's education. And so the last task is self-evaluation which is when we're we're learning that we have these internalized goals and external standards that help us to know who we are and help us to evaluate ourselves I was thinking specifically Anna do you remember like through grade school that there were reading groups oh yeah you know, yeah. and so you, so even though the teacher never said to you, you're one of the smart kids. Right. There's always that understanding. Uh-huh. Because for a while, Nathan was teaching reading and the mm-hmm. reading groups were always very clearly delineated. Mm-hmm. And he would be able to say like, oh, I'm teaching the accelerated group right now, mm-hmm. like, or, or the higher, higher learning group, whatever they called it. But like, kids know that too. Right. The kids, we try to disguise it. Yeah. We don't say you're in the smart group, you're in the not <laughs> we, so we smart like, group. We are like, you're in group green and you're in group blue <laughs> right. and you're you are the yellow. bumblebees. Yeah. 
And you are the gnats. You're the bumblebees <laughs> and you're the brains. The brains go in the other room? Cool. Because we're going to read a chapter book. Like kids right, know. Right. And you get a picture book because kids, you're in the gnats Kids, group. I think this is kind of a general. Kids get so much more than adults give them credit for getting. Yeah. I see this a lot in families that I work with where there's like divorce situations or mm. splitting up situations That's where they're so like, true. I don't want to explain to my kids. And I'm like, okay, but you have to explain why you guys are fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they get it. They understand and they feel it. So there's so much about the, and we, I noticed in the last couple of episodes, we talked so much about balance, yeah. about parenting and balance and all that. And in that kind of situation, balance is so important. Because you don't want to tell them so hard. some of the legal adult no. stuff. But but yet, you can't hide it from them. They know stuff is exactly. happening. Exactly. Like, you're going to have to face it either way. And if you don't, you're just not facing something that's important and that's going to affect them. So That's exactly right. Okay, so the last task is the self-evaluation. And we're, we're starting in middle childhood from 6 to 12. And of course, again, I go back to, if you think about the difference between a first grader and a fifth grader, you can think about how different that is. That we do eventually, through this stage, start to put much more weight on our peer group evaluation than, let's say, the way our teachers look at us. It's still important. Right. But but not slowly, as our friends. right? One of the things that I read was some research about pride and self evaluation and feeling proud of yourself, and the fact that research has shown that like five to six year olds can be pretty proud of themselves no matter what. So like they <laughs> they draw something and the teacher says, "Oh, that's so good, that's great, that's awesome, you're such an artist," and they feel good, they feel proud. They're like, "You're right, I am right. an artist." But you get to be eight to ten years old. And the teacher says, oh, that's so good. And they look at their friends and they think, yeah, this is crap. (laughs) Yeah. This is crap. This is garbage. So there is a point where kids start to be able to discern for themselves that those compliments that adults are giving us is not really authentic. Right. So we need to kind of be cautious about that. Or even if they are authentic, like the the self-evaluation and the peer comparison is so important here that... It can kind of override the adult compliments. Exactly, exactly. And so just real quick in this little section, I would say that there's a couple of things that I thought were kind of cool in the idea of self-efficacy. So the idea, self-efficacy, every... Esificacy. Every podcast has to be one word that throws me. That's it for today. Okay. Efficacy. One done. You got it. Is that idea of the sense of confidence that you can perform. You believe you can do this. Yeah. Okay. And this goes clear through adulthood, obviously. Sure. Self-efficacy. It kind of sounds dirty. It does. Efficacy. Well, you say, well, when you enunciate that syllable. Efficacy. Efficacy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that does not count as an F word. Right there. It does I don't want not. to bleep it. <laughs> okay. There's, there's two kind of interesting side notes here about this. When children are learning about their own confidence, there's something called an illusion of incompetence, which is when kids in this middle childhood have an illusion that they're not as bright as they actually are. And that's Hmm. usually because they've gotten bad grades Hmm. or they've gotten low scores on tests, like on um, standardized testing. Which makes sense because it... Right. So much important. And maybe they just don't test well, but they're actually very bright. Right. And they see those scores and they're like, oh God, I'm dumb. Yeah. And so then that kind of starts to spiral. 
And a very important part of illusion of incompetence has to do with the parents. The parents are really important here. The parents explain to the kids things like standardized testings are not the end all. Yes. You know, I mean, it's cool. And hey, maybe you're just a bad test taker. Right. It's like not understanding that that is a thing is different. very important. This was interesting. The other side of the coin is called illusions of competence. And for some <laughs> like children. Illusions of grandeur. <laughs> kind of. Some children have such deficits that they're not literally not bright enough to realize they're not so good i love it i love it (laughs) so this is where ignorance is bliss yeah (laughs) like i think i'm great at this those are my favorite (laughs) people like yeah i did super good at that actually i would like to be i know yeah (laughs) like please give me some of that Okay, so those are the tasks. We're done with the tasks. And let's, so then let's kind of pull that back to the industry thing. Okay. That if you have gone through those tasks, you will have this sense of industry that you're eager to acquire new skills. You perform meaningful work. You have a good work ethic. You know that if you work, you will accomplish. Unfortunately, the other side of that coin is inferiority. And we kind of go yeah. back to the Adler stuff and the idea of just feeling like no matter what you do, you're not going to be good enough. So in this stage, if we do accomplish industry, then we are going to come out of that with what is called competence. That's our ego quality. Competence. I can do this. I can go into junior high and I can kick butt. I can get good grades. Which ego quality is always so connected to the first part of the crisis. And then the pathology is always connected to the second part of the crisis. So they're always very connected. Perfect. So the pathology is inertia. And that is that a kid says, no matter what I do, I'm not going to get good grades. Or no matter what I do, I'm not going to be on the football team. No matter what I do, I'm not going to get, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of friends. The friendship thing is a huge thing with all of this because even though all all of the other stuff is important. The social part, because remember, we're talking about social part, right. basically. Right. This is that's what all these right. the, they're psychosocial stages. So there's a whole separate thing that actually I think we could do a whole episode on the idea of friendship versus being alone, being lonely, being bullied. Sure. All of that part that happens a lot in middle childhood. Unfortunately, what happens in middle childhood often stays with a child through junior high and, and even high school yeah. because they've learned this inertia, which is not moving. Right. And we all have moments of inertia in our life even as adults yeah sure where we get burnout out or we have something bad happen and we're like i'm just done even if it's not on. like we failed this stage or something right, right there's always just moments where we're like i can't right do this but the idea of this particular stage is if we have that core pathology of inertia it's going to stick with us through our job situations in our adult life our intimate relationships all of that So that's why we need to, if that's a struggle for us, if that's something that we were stuck on when we were kids, we need to kind of go back and work on that, process that. So that is middle childhood. That's it? You're done with your stage? Yep. What a good stage. And we're going to do something weird now. We're going to take a break. (gasps) And then we're going to come back. Okay. Okay. Hey, Sipsters. Are you enjoying Freudian Sips? (gasps) Mom, did you hear that? They said they are. (laughs) You are? That's great. Well, I have great news. Now you can get paid to listen to us. I know that sounds insane, but it's true. Oh, Anna, we don't say that word. Oh, insane, but it's 
It's in the copy. It's <laughs> Anyway, you're right. There's an app called Podcoin that pays you to listen to us and other podcasts too. It's on iPhone and Android and it's super free and simple to use too. With this app, you listen to podcasts and earn pod coins, as the name would suggest. Then you can turn these pod coins into gift cards to places like Amazon or Starbucks. Or if you want to feel good deep down in your soul, you can donate those coins to charity too. Okay, so here's how you get in on this sweet, sweet deal. Go download the PodCoin app on iPhone or Android, and if you use the code FREUDIAN, you even get 300 extra PodCoins just for signing up. It's so great. Then you just start listening to podcasts, and if you listen to enough Freudian sips, (laughs) you get a Starbucks coffee on us. You're welcome. (laughs) This is going to change the way you listen to podcasts. It did for us. So we've just did middle childhood. Yeah, which welcome. Is mine, six to twelve. Welcome back, everyone. We took it's such like a they, long break. It's like they went away to a faraway country yeah. or something. I don't think. Well, that's maybe they how peed when we did. It's fine. Oh, okay. Well, we right. just took a long break. Had a little heart to heart. We're about to have some shots. All's well. All is well. <laughs> All right. Ching. Oh, oh we reached Ooh. across the table. Okay. Ooh. Did you notice how... Baby, baby. How, <coughs> how, I, how I didn't do the thing on the table like you did because I'm so sensitive about my elbows. I'm so sorry. There you go. Make up for it. That's that's a, that's a shout out so to we have a Sean, shot. Levi, and Bruce. Hi, babies. Ah, we have a shot with the chaser of a drink. A, a which mystery. has the same stuff in it. Yeah. So. We're very classy. Okay. Oh. Lemonade. Because in middle childhood, we had lemonade stands. <laughs> That is totally not really acceptable. Okay, where do we go? So, okay, so we have our competence. That's our ego quality from middle childhood. And we head into early adolescence, Mm. 12 to 18. (laughs) What was that noise about? That was a feeling of pain. Yeah, it's hard. I kind of realized in my counseling journey that this is kind of the age that I really love to work with. Really? Yeah, kind of... This and like the very end of your stage, kind of 10 to 16, I would say. Mm. I really love working with adolescents that age. I just feel like there's a lot to go through. So that's interesting. Yeah. So early adolescence, 12 to 18. Think about how much you change. 12 Again, to- yeah, like with your stage, oh like God. like you said, there's so much difference between a 6-year-old and a 12-year-old. There's so much difference between a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, I'm kind of viewing the stages as, yeah, there's a huge difference, but the things we're talking about are the things that make the difference. Like the reason that there is such a difference between 6 and 12 is because they mastered those tasks they that you talked photos. about. Yeah. 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 Without those tasks, we would be as similar as we were when we were that age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, you. I had, I'm going to be quiet while you do your. You stage. went first this time, <laughs> so I had a chance to drink while you were talking. So I really have to <laughs> pretend to sound smart while I am a little bit intoxicated. Hello, Tipsy. Okay. <clears throat> oh my gosh. <laughs> Burping on mic Hi, sorry. is a sure sign of intoxication. It really is. That's a that's a tell of mine. Mm-hmm. Imagine playing cards with me and I just have a really good hand. I'm like, ah. 
So, tell us about early adolescence, Anna Marie. The developmental tasks. The first one is physical maturation. Now, this means puberty. Bummer. Puberty, guys. <laughs> this is when puberty happens. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry. <laughs> this is, this sucks. So, puberty is when things like secondary sex characteristics come in. So, pubic hair, uh, girls develop breasts, uh, boys develop facial hair. So, that's when all those kind of things that are not reproductive organs but are, oh my god, we're already laughing. This is going to be rough. Things that are not reproductive. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm that kid in class who giggles well, okay. when you You're say You're going to have hair. such a hard time because my <laughs> the whole developmental task is just like, you're going to have such a hard time with this. Okay. okay. And also things like redistribution of our body weight, differences in muscle strength, and, you know, growth spurts and all that stuff. This is particularly important for counseling purposes mm. because puberty has so many <laughs> neurological and hormone changes when we're trying to deal with their stuff flying around exactly like it's a so hard to parse what's going on mm-hmm. because one week they could be okay and one week they couldn't and that could have nothing to do with like actual life events it could have everything to do with the hormones in their body mm-hmm. so it's really hard and i think it's really important to say to those people whether it's, you know, a counseling client or, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, I have a child this age, it's important to say to them, like, hey, dude, <laughs> you are going through so many hormone changes you can't right now. help it. I am so sorry. <laughs> like, But we all have to do it. Yeah, that's an important thing to say. Like, we've all gone through this. It sucks for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Exactly. But I have so many clients in this age group and the amount of significance that hormone changes have in our psychological struggles like cannot be overstated. It's so significant to mm-hmm. what we're dealing with in this area. Mm-hmm. This is a side note. This is a patented side note. and a side note <laughs> of LGBTQ yes. significance. Mm-hmm. First of all, happy Pride Month. If you're listening to it in Pride Month. We are producing it in Pride Month. We are producing it. It is being released in Pride Month, and I am saying happy Pride Month. Okay. But this stage is when trans kids really start to struggle because puberty Mm -hmm. is really, really significant in Mm -hmm. a transgender person's journey. Uh, Again, we'll talk about this later because I do want to do a whole episode, if not more, on gender and sexuality and all that stuff. But this is a time when trans kids are really hurting. Like, puberty makes the differences between genders very pronounced. Yes. And a lot harder to deal with. So if you are in a situation where you see some kids struggling, like your kids or mm-hmm. or kids that you were close to, and they're struggling with their, you know, puberty, and they're struggling with how they're presenting gender-wise, then it's important to understand the spectrum of the LGBTQ. That's good nice side, side note. note. That's a good Thank side note. Thank you. I, uh, that makes a lot of sense that this is an important oh my gosh, life stage for you because of your feelings toward that group. Y- yeah. I do I do a lot of work with LGBTQ clients. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the areas that I really have a heart to work with people in. So mm-hmm. 
I do have a lot of awareness of how this stage affects people going forward Mm -hmm. and how it affects their journey of gender and sexuality and all that stuff. So this is a really significant time in especially LGBTQ kids. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a significant time in everyone. So too, if you're listening... And you are a person who has struggled with that kind of situation Absolutely. in your life. You might yeah. not look back to your adolescence mm-hmm. and to what happened to you during that time and how people accepted that change. Yeah, and if maybe things mm-hmm. got a lot harder for you, then you yeah. can start to realize that maybe it is because like of the physical changes that were happening in your body and how that made it way harder to deal with the kind of identity struggles that you were going through. Exactly. So uh, specifically, when we're talking about physical changes, during this stage, girls and... <laughs> Having just had that LGBTQ note, when I talk about like gender, which I will several times in this stage, mm-hmm. when I talk about gender, I'm talking about cisgender people. I'm talking about people who identify with their own gender. So, generally, and it would make sense if we go back to the Erickson model. Mm-hmm. He was very specific that way, probably because yeah. of when he created yeah. these. There were a lot of mm-hmm. gender differences that were very clear, but right. now we know we that have it's evolved much more into a, a very different place. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so now when I talk about these statistics and things, I'm just talking about like cisgender kids. Right. Because it could be very different for the LGBTQ youth out there. So in general, girls will be more concerned about their bodies during this stage, especially their weight. Hmm. This is when things like social pressure and the desire not to be rejected come into play. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's because of the media and patriarchy. It's because oh. of patriarchy. <laughs> This happens. Anna's soapbox. She's got it. She's okay. on it. Calm down. Step off your soapbox. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Fine. Take a drink. Anyway, okay. there's a big link between depression and obesity in this stage of life. And it becomes that when you are depressed, you have faultier eating habits and that obesity is more likely to manifest. And that affects our social relationships. And that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Generally, boys are more likely to be accepting of the physical changes that are happening where it comes to like they are becoming taller and they're having more musculature. And so generally in their armpits. That's (laughs) yeah, that's really good for their self-esteem. Totally. I got some hair in my armpit. Look at this. And then they lift their arms and everyone falls down. (laughs) So physical maturation big part of this that's the first developmental task second developmental task is romantic and sexual relationships ruh yeah that's gonna happen and again what a difference between 12 and 18 well Holy that's kind of i'm not i'm not gonna go super deep <laughs> <laughs> beavis and butthead laugh insert here <laughs> super deep into this because it is a very broad topic i mean like there's a lot of different ways that people approach these romantic and sexual relationships that they have Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways that it could be you know perceived Mm -hmm. so i think we're probably going to end up doing this as its own that's like a whole separate i think the main problem that i have with doing these episodes is i do all this research and then i say like okay that could be its own topic that could be its own topic that could be its own so i i feel like i need to struggle with what to talk about because so much of it i want to talk about all on its own Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is very much one of those things we say to each other all the time there's so much there's so much there's so much 
But that's so cool that there's so much. Yeah. Because that means there's so much to learn and there's so much there's to talk about. There's but there's also a lot to kind of deal with if you're not used to diving into it. Right, so, right. But I would agree that romantic and sexual relationships could be a whole separate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in general, this is when adolescents are exploring their sexuality. They're kind of figuring... Sexuality. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just like the way you said it. I thought it was good. I liked it. <laughs> Say it again. Their sexuality. <laughs> they are discovering what they like and don't like. My mother's making fun of me. Remember, I'm the kid in the class that laughs okay. every time you say sex. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a hard section for you. <laughs> and not only sexual, but they're discovering what they want in their romantic relationships, what they want in their intimate relationships. Intimate relationships, yes. exactly. And mm-hmm. I know there, like we've talked about, there is a whole spectrum of sexuality and a whole spectrum of what we'd like romantically. And right. this is when they're figuring that out, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on average, kind of statistic-wise, boys are more likely to report being sexually active earlier in life. But by the end of the stage, kind of grade 12, age 18-ish, boys and girls are equally likely to be sexually active and actually about a third of adolescents report not having intercourse by grade 12. I think that's significant because I think there's this weird social pressure of like not being Every, a virgin. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. But it's really important that we remember that everyone goes through those things at a different time and that there's there's mm-hmm. just no such thing as like when we should do that. Right. It's totally socially pressure and it's totally just... It needs to be focused on when we want to do it and when we feel exactly. ready. It's everybody's own thing. Yes. I mean, and screw it if everybody doesn't understand Yeah, as, as a little bit of self-disclosure, I didn't kiss someone until I was like 20. That's a lot of self-disclosure right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's important because I don't think it negatively affected me. I think that's just the journey I was going on. And I think that's okay. I was figuring out what was going on with me. And I think, I think it's okay that we normalize not having those kind of experiences until we're older. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say like, I did, I did it when I was this young. I did it when I was this old because it is such an individual thing. So I think it's important to say those kind of things to make it okay to not, you know, lose your virginity by a certain age or or do certain intimate things by a certain age just because we feel pressured to do it. So on average, like I said, girls are equally likely to be sexually active by a certain age. And that doesn't mean that the kids who are not sexually active are not experimenting with intimacy right so things like holding hands and kissing and just spending time alone with the people that we're attracted to counts as intimate time mm-hmm. and counts as things that we are exploring in the space of romantic and sexual relationships and of course this is a huge time when sexual orientation comes into play mm-hmm. i'm not going to go too far into this because like you have already seen i will go on my soapbox <laughs> But basically, this is the time that attraction really starts to take hold and we really start to figure out what that means. That includes same-sex attraction, but that doesn't mean that necessarily this is the time when youth will label themselves of diverse sexuality or LGBTQ or whatever you want to say. And self-labeling is such a huge part of that journey that we can't necessarily say anything as definitive as this is when people know they're gay. I mean, that is way too reductive to the issue. Yes, So in general, this is where we're exploring the romantic and sexuality piece. It doesn't necessarily mean that's when we'll label ourselves as bi or lesbian or gay or anything like that. You are kicking butt, Anna. Thank you. You are kicking butt. Thank 
Thank you. Keep going. Keep going, baby. Okay. Keep going. Okay. That's, that's why I'm so proud of you. I just had to deal with you. this validation for a second. <laughs> I just had to soak that in. My daughter is one of the smartest people I know. Have I ever Shut said up. that? Shut no, up. I'm totally serious. You say it all the time. Because you are. Why do you say that now? Because you're freaking smart. What? Say it on tape. So we know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be as smart as you. I admire smart. you for the way you you just. I did my research just like you did. I know, but you but you have a way of like putting it all together. What's that word? Putting it all together and making it all fit so good. Thank you. You and your brother that are very smart people. Well, I'm very blessed it, to have such good smart. Kids. I don't. I don't think it's just blessed. Okay. I think you raised us so. Mm, I had a little something to do with it. <laughs> I didn't raise you. Yeah. <laughs> totally because of me. <laughs> Take advantage of it, yeah. It's completely because of me that you have such great understanding. I mean, but yes. I think I think a big part of it for you is your empathy too, because you have such great empathy for people. I mean, just everyone. You just have great empathy. Well, okay. I I think LGBTQ especially. I that have, is your heart. That's your heart. Yes, I yeah, for that. am somewhere on that and, spectrum. And so this, I think that's important. And that, this particular section is is good yeah. for you to talk about. And this okay. particular age group, I like I said, I think is very important when it well, comes that, to that. That's interesting to me because I don't. I know you and I have talked about. You know, well, do you want to be a teacher? Because I was a teacher. Yeah. I kind of thought you'd be a teacher. But then oh yeah, when was I was like, like oh, a real no. little kid, people were always like, "Do you want to be a teacher like your teacher? mom?" And I'd be like, "No." Do you know how strong no. she is? <laughs> like what? No. You hear the stories I hear yeah, at the end of the day. Excuse me. I live with Holy a teacher. Crap. Why would I want to be a teacher? <laughs> I that just wasn't where I was called. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's okay. We all have different gifts. Okay, sorry. That was a side note of, I'm so hey, proud of I, you. Okay, go on. I take any side <laughs> notes uh, that are based on, you know, me being great. Uh, I think that's an awesome Yay, thing to take Anna, a side note go on. In. Yay, I'm me. your best Yay. cheerleader. You are. You really are. Okay. The next task is formal operations. And like we kind of talked about during your stage, I'm not going to go too far into this because we will do a whole episode on Piaget and how how our thinking evolves based on how old we are. Mm -hmm. The basic gist is the brain is still developing. The frontal lobe is still not great until we're about in our 20s. So basically kids are not fully able to master what we call executive functions. And Mm -hmm. executive functions include planning and organizing things impulse control that's a huge one i mean when we're this age we are not good at impulse control and that's because our brains aren't equipped for it fully yet Mm -hmm. uh working memory things like that but they're getting a little better than they were in previous stages so they are working on it and formal operations specifically that term is like i said from piaget who came up with the whole cognition thing about these operations that we talk about Formal operations means that they are able to consider what is possible versus what's realistic. Mm-hmm. They are developing things like hypotheses. They are able to test certain things. And they're thinking about things that will affect them in the future mm-hmm. and how things will have different ramifications on what they do. This is sort of when that all starts to click into place and how they start to conceptualize that. This also includes something called decentering, which is a very fancy word for breaking out of egocentrism, mm-hmm. which is a very fancy word for only <laughs> thinking about yourself. 
Right. Even though we kind of think of adolescence as only thinking of themselves. Right. Which, but this I is mean, when they can actually yes, break out of it a little <laughs> yes. bit. Yes. This is, well, depending on what happens in their life, this right. is when they start to realize that that is not the only way to think. Mm-hmm. And that they are able to say, okay, well, the people around me also have ideas and feelings and dreams and what they want to mm-hmm. do. And they're able to kind of put them, like I said, like that starts when you're way younger. That's what I was just thinking, that we've been building on this repeatedly. Right. Repeatedly on looking outside yourself and realizing that other people have a perception of things. I think it's this difference of like being able to conceptualize what other people are going to think and react in a certain situation. But then when you get to this stage, being able to say like, oh, that's also important. Right. Like that holds as much important as what I think in a situation. And choosing. Yeah. We're now down to the choice. Yeah. Do you choose to consider that other people actually have an investment in this? Or are you just going to think of yourself? You're right. You're going to choose. Right. But I do, I love how you said the thing about the frontal lobe thing. I got that from you. You Thank you told you. me one time that was like, <laughs> you've told your clients who are kind of this age, like, we can only do so much before your frontal lobe is fully developed. We can't. Dude. We can't. We're just going to have to stand we're, by. We're just going to have to do as much as we can. Well, and we don't want that to be like an excuse for no. inappropriate. behavior we don't want it to be like well i can't do anything because my frontal lobe is like not developed my poor frontal lobe but by the same token especially for parents of those age people Mm -hmm. we can say oh crap that's the frontal lobe thing right you know we don't want it to be an excuse and yet we do want to be self-aware yes that at that age the frontal lobe is just not all the way intact yeah yeah Okay, that's formal operations. Got it. I'll go into that later. I like the hand motion. Thank you. Thank you. It's a very hand motion centric episode. Next task is emotional development. Mm. (laughs) My notes for these tasks just keep getting shorter. That's good. (laughs) Emotional development happens. We get emotional. We We learn how to control it. (laughs) The thing, the main thing that I want to hit in this stage is basically what I care most about, which is things that we need to work on in ourselves and we need Mm -hmm. to work on in counseling. Mm -hmm. Basically, the difference between externalizing and internalizing a problem. Again, I'll go back to this is cisgender that I'm talking about, that there are gender differences in this, that internalizing... Wait a second. I'm going to stop you because we've used cisgender several times. Yes. Would you define that for me, please? Cisgender means that you identify with the gender you were born as. Okay, thank you. You and I are both cisgender Sometimes we throw those words around and we assume that everybody knows those words, Mm -hmm. but... Cis is the opposite of trans is the easy way to say that. Like, we hear a lot about transgender things, Mm -hmm. but cisgender is the opposite where cisgender just means you are not trans. And I would like to throw in there that cisgender is not a negative term. Yeah, it's. I was just going to say that I was going to go there as well because, mm-hmm. like, it's used negatively sometimes mm-hmm. that, like... Oh, like shame on you for being cisgender. Cisgender yeah. is just that's not fair at all. It's not because a, if that's it's who not I a bias am. word. It's not a right. judgment word. Right. It's just a fact word. So let's be careful of how we yes. use our words. So transgender just means you do not identify psychologically as the gender you were biologically born as. Right. Cisgender means you do identify exactly. with that biological gender. So it, don't so don't get mean with me because I'm cisgender. Don't get no. mean with me because I'm or, transgender. Or don't assume that because we are saying that word that we have any implicit bias about it because we don't we're just using it in the psychological sexuality term of it good job sexuality gender i wanted you to say okay (laughs) thank you okay move along that's what you want to say just say it (laughs) good job move along (laughs) okay (laughs) 
So, like I said, uh, there are a lot of statistics about this stage and the emotional development piece of it that have to do with gender. So, when I talk about internalizing problems, I mean that the things we're feeling, the troubles we're experiencing, we turn in on ourselves. We don't talk with people. We kind of keep it in. That manifests as things like depression, eating disorders, things mm-hmm. that are really self-destructive like that. Uh, that is internalizing problems. Self-harm. Self-harm is a big one in this stage. That generally manifests more in females. Again, I would say because of socialization, we are more likely to internalize those feelings and not share those There's things. your little soapbox again. Yeah. The soapbox is going to come out a lot in this. I got to agree with that soapbox. Okay. There's a lot. Where did um, you learn that? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and on the other side, externalizing is where we take our problems that we're experiencing them and we put them out into the world and we throw them out without actually dealing with them. So that includes things like conduct problems, behavior problems, and aggression problems. Mm-hmm. And more likely, boys are the ones that are dealing with this because, Mm -hmm. again, socialization, it is much easier for boys to do angry things than it is for them to show emotions. Right. Unfortunately. That's the F the police, right? (laughs) Look on your face right now. How so? F the police. How so? Is that that associated with this place? It's like it's like that rebellion. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. There's a difference between rebellion and like aggression because you have other feelings okay i think everyone at this stage does go through a rebellion because that goes with the crisis oh i should have talked about the crisis before i talked about the tasks Mm. like you did the the crisis in this stage is group identity versus alienation so we are kind of again these are psychosocial stages so we're going through this like identifying with other people i think Mm -hmm. the rebellion thing has a lot to do with identifying with our peers versus with the authority figures exactly yeah we did the same same hand motion just then it was with our peers peers instead of authority figures that was really bizarre we really do need to have some (laughs) no we need to have a youtube channel so externalizing versus internalizing like i said some gender differences there Okay, the next developmental task is membership in the peer group. I'm just going to go ahead and skip this one entirely. Because it kind of speaks for itself. Yes, it does. Just saying that. But also it goes with the psychosocial crisis of this section, which is group identity versus alienation. Uh Uh-huh. Amen. So this is when kids are really starting to think about who they are. But because of all these developmental tasks, this identity development is manifesting as who they are in relation to others and what groups they're in, not just who they are personally. Mm -hmm. So to do this, they start to engage in this process of identifying the groups that they're in and Mm -hmm. kind of the group characteristics of the groups that they're a part of. So if you're listening and you do not have children of your own, you can just think about your own high school experience. Oh my God. Like that that typical like mean girl scene of like, and those are the band (laughs) geeks and those are the goths and those Mm -hmm. are the popular kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think those are cliches because that's really how how it it kind of shakes out. Yeah. exactly. But I think that those groups are typical and this is the stage where we kind of start to say like, okay, well, if you're in the goth group, these are the characteristics that you sort of see with the kids who are in that right exactly like i mean we're part of groups even when we're a lot younger than this like and we're part of groups like that even when we're older than that 
Well, oh, we're parts of groups Total. like this. Our whole life. Our whole life. Yeah. But, like, even when we're younger, like, we're parts of, like, t-ball teams yeah. and everything. The smart kids. The yeah. athletic kids. Kind the of. The dance kids. But, like, usually when we're younger, it's based more on, like, common interests and stuff. So sure. we're, like, on a dance team or we're on right. a sports team or, or anything like that. But this is the stage when kids really start to evaluate the groups that they're in and they become able to kind of pinpoint what group they're a part of and why they're a part of it right and kind of start to identify how those groups are formed so they're starting to identify themselves in terms of who they're around Mm -hmm. which can be good but also it can be kind of dangerous Mm -hmm. on the kind of darker side of that they can feel like they don't have a group identity and if they feel kind of alienated from that then that's where the other side of this crisis comes in. This group identity versus alienation crisis comes in. Mm-hmm. This could come from not feeling like they have a common identity with people, like feeling like they don't like the same things. Or it can also feel like it's coming from their personality. Like if they're shy or if they're just not very sociable or if they're kind of introverted, then it can feel like they're being alienated from others. Or it can come from what you talked about, which is attachment, which is if they have a really hard time like finding and forming those personal bonds, Mm -hmm. then they're going to have a hard time identifying with the group. Right. Well, and if you think about that, like, okay, so we're talking 12 to 18 years old Mm -hmm. in your group. Yeah. You're talking about junior high and high school level. Think about your own life and what you went through, the changes you went through from junior high level through senior high level. Yeah. And like maybe, I mean, some of us go through a total change. We're like freshman year, we're doing this and this and this in high school. And then we decide that's not us at all. We don't feel authentic. And so then we change things around and then we're this. And quite frankly, then what we will talk about in a future podcast, when we step into college, some of us completely change even what we did oh, in yeah. high school. So there's a whole I mean, there's a lot of identity, identity processes yeah. happening Ooh. all throughout that. Ooh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of this kind of pressure of once I know who I am, I've got to stick with that. Yeah, exactly. Or like once I think I know who I am, I guess I should say, because uh-huh. you don't. Right. Like your identity, like we've talked about before, is always changing. And quite frankly, I mean, I have clients who are in their 50s and even 60s who are struggling with their identity. And like, yeah, I've been this person my whole life, but I don't think that's really who I am. I think I'm this person. So we evolve. We are. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we are pressured into being a certain identity, Mm -hmm. whether it's social pressure or whether it's pressure from our family group, our religion. Yeah. yeah, Those are huge. Like our culture. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into how we form our identity and it's worth looking at that critically and saying Mm -hmm. like how did I form my identity did I form it because of things that I wanted to explore and wanted to choose or did I form it because of what people were saying I should form it around right and that sucks I mean that's hard like it's it's really hard to kind of look in at yourself and eventually maybe it's hard work and it's painful yeah because maybe you'll come to the conclusion of like ah this isn't who I am right and that will be very very difficult the core in my opinion of counseling and therapy is being authentic and so then throughout life from the time we're little children all the way through adulthood and even older adults we deal with that am I really who I really am or am I just doing that right so we find that authenticity and gosh 
during adolescence, we are really struggling. Because as you said, we're not only dealing with it like psychologically and cognitively, but we got all those hormones firing. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. So if it's and hard enough to think about your identity when you're like, <laughs> like stable and crap. solid, yeah. but also you've got like brain changes and hormone changes. Our bodies are changing. Our physical changing. Now. Oh, my Lord. So yes. poor adolescents, good grief. I know. Shout this out is, for adolescents. I know, this stage, like if you know someone in this stage, like just be just like, hey, you are doing great. Give them some money and tell, tell them that you Give them 10 bucks them. and tell them to just go to a movie. Like it's fine. They need a minute. Oh, <laughs> and if you're God. older than that, then, well, and you should be older if you're listening to this podcast. Again, then, <laughs> if you're under uh, 18, don't be listening. Just kind of give yourself a little pat on the back like, oh, God, I, I survived I adolescence. Oh, praise God. We should all get a little sticker when we get to 18 that's like, I survived. I survived I survived being Woo. below 18. <laughs> It's hard. Phew. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. So okay. all that and then leads to the central process of peer pressure. So this is interesting because I think when we talk about peer pressure, we think of the negative term. It's a negative connotation. Like that we learned about in D.A.R.E. Yeah. But this doesn't necessarily mean the negative connotation that we use. This right. means like demands for conformity, which again sounds a little bit negative, but it's kind. Of, it, it doesn't have to be overt. It doesn't have to be people saying you have to be this to fit in with our social group. It could just be that we're seeing how social groups are and how they act and we are forming ourselves to fit that. It goes back to social competence. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of realizing how mm-hmm. people act and trying to act that way. Hmm. It's, it's when you recognize that someone is acting a certain way and you act the same way to oh, yeah. yeah to sort of gain favor with them basically sure. this is kind of the stage where you develop I do that it. with you all the time oh you just act like is I'm that what you laugh cool at me like because you. i laugh at all my own jokes and <laughs> i make a joke and i laugh and then you laugh and then we're all happy yeah basically no. <laughs> oh i think you're sincerely funny thank you just so we are i also that. think i'm sincerely funny so <laughs> that works <laughs> it's good that you're self-aware <laughs> I think you're sincerely funny too. I learned Thanks. it. I learned it from watching Thanks. you. <laughs> but more generally, the pressure just of being with people is enough to be considered peer pressure. Often that's a give and take. So kind of how friends work is we adapt and we teach each other and that in itself is a pressure. Yeah. Like like when we're with people, when we're trying to get them to like us, that's a pressure because we want them to accept us. Right. So that is what peer pressure means in this context. Is it, it doesn't mean like the peer pressure of someone wanting you to smoke crack or whatever Dare tells you that people are wanting to smoke. I don't know. I don't think Dare goes that far. Dare doesn't talk about crack? I don't think crack What does Dare talk about? Alcohol and marijuana. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, that's about maybe to be... Maybe not. Maybe these days it is crack. Marijuana is about to be legal, so, so it won't be that. I don't know. But alcohol is legal, so there's that whole, legal. like, just sure. making wise choices. Sure. Yes. I, I think that's important, no matter yes. what age we're talking about, is making yes. wise making choices. making wise choices. So related to that kind of, like I said, reduction of that egocentrism, feeling that we're the only ones and that our opinions are the only ones that matter, is kids learning that 
others have feelings and expectations of them. Mm -hmm. And this peer pressure thing that I mentioned is just the want to meet those expectations. And those expectations could be positive. If we have friends that believe that we're really good at something, then we're going to want to rise to meet that. And that's going to be really good for our self-esteem. So it really depends on kind of what kind of people you're hanging out with and what pressures they're putting on you and how you're going to rise to meet those pressures. You can roll empathy into that. You can roll empathy into anything. Yeah. Amen, sister. (laughs) How? Well, I think just that, you know, that you're aware that other people... The peer pressure is to to be empathetic for other people and to not goes back to you're not being totally egocentric, but right. to be aware that other people have needs and they have struggles and they have things that you need to be aware of. Yeah. 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 Just putting That's yourself in another person's pressure. shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we do not handle this crisis well, so this group identity versus alienation crisis, if we don't handle the alienation well, then we will go out with the core pathology of dissociation mm-hmm. and that... Is a synonym for alienation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of these are just synonyms. I like that. Yeah. Synonym, yes. And oh, is Which a new, you learned is that about a new word fourth, for you? <laughs> fourth or fifth grade, I believe, is where we covered okay. that. Okay. A synonym, yes. I know synonyms, what that is. I put it on my toast. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So dissociation is not necessarily a desire to be separate from others. It's more like a reluctance to make the commitments that we need Mm. to be with others. So that goes back to the attachment thing that you talked about. It goes back to like a lack of awareness on how to do this based on not having the practice of doing it. Right. All that stuff. But on the positive side... If we go out with that group identity thing, we end with the ego quality of fidelity to others, which basically means that when we have a group identity, we develop the ability to be loyal to others and to be loyal to our commitments Mm -hmm. and to kind of stick with those. So that is how we end if we successfully complete the crisis. That's awesome. So because we have fidelity to others does not mean that we do not have our own independent thoughts. And no, we're and able desires. to critically think about right. what others want because, of us. Because hopefully by now, so now in place, hopefully if we have been adjusting well, mm-hmm. we have hope, mm-hmm. will, purpose, competence, and then fidelity to others. Those are all very good words. They are awesome. Those are all very good things mm-hmm. that we should have. So ideally, as Erickson set up the stages, as we build these prime adaptive ego qualities, it doesn't mean that we are always, you know, the fidelity to others means that we don't know who we are ourselves. Mm-hmm. We had that first. We had that first through the competence. We knew that we were strong and we could do things. right? And so now we adapt and we also... But we do develop kind of a group identity I right. would say almost before we fully develop our individual identity. Ooh. I mean, I think it's during this stage we haven't really developed fully our individual identity. Would you say by the time you're 18 you've developed your individual identity? I would say that. I I, I would say no. I would say I wouldn't I would have say no, my individual I, identity I would say yet. that each individual is different in that. Some well, people... I would say so too, but we're talking about general psychosocial right. stages. Right. So... That's a whole separate, well, a whole separate podcast. Sorry. Everything is. We're out of time. Everything is a separate Sorry. podcast. We're out of time. Let's Sorry. wrap it up. Bye. <laughs> there is so much, so much, so much to talk about. Okay, so we're like halfway through now. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Feels like a lot. Life is long and so yet strange. it is short. Life, the lifespan <laughs> is long. Quote from Bonnie. Lifespan is long and yet it goes in the blink of an eye. Spoken from a person who is late in life. Oh, Okay. I'm old. 
I've lived much of my life, and yet I have much more to go. You do. I believe. Do you want to thank the people for listening? Oh, please let me thank them. <laughs> please do. <laughs> Every time I get to thank you, and I'm so glad I get to thank you. So we really appreciate that you were hanging with us through these stages of Erickson because we're going to continue them <laughs> in the next couple of episodes, and we hope that you'll be with us. But we do thank you for being with us, and we thank you for pouring yourself a drink and sitting down or doing your chores or whatever, yeah, you whatever you're do. doing. Yeah. I don't know, driving around, listening to us on the highway. We really appreciate you. So thank you for being with us. Yes. Thank you so much. Like I said, uh, we would really love it if you reached out to us on social media just to kind of, you know, show us that you're listening and show us that you're maybe... Let us know you're out there. Yes, please do. And let us know if you're interested in us reading the book or... A cool glass. Yes, an awesome glass and merch. So like, let us know that you are extant and that you listen to our podcast. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're, Sometime we're f- I'm going to do this part. Really? Yeah, someday. I need you to write it down, though. Okay. Okay, go on. So it's Freudian Sips Pod on all those things. Uh, we're also FreudianSipsPod.com. Uh, you can get a hold of us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon, and I'm seriously considering making the Murder Yet to Come thing a Patreon exclusive. That would be cool. I think that would be very cool. Please remember to leave us a nice rating interview wherever you can do that, especially iTunes. Mm-hmm. That would be great. iTunes. iTunes. No, we did it again. We said we wouldn't. <laughs> We're in that groove. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you want to listen to some better music, our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. this. <laughs> 